This episode is brought to you by Tic Tac. Minty, refreshing, classic. And it's not just the Tic Tac mints. It's the new track by Canise with beats that'll leave you feeling as refreshed as a Tic Tac and a vibe that'll take you on a ride through 100 layers of flavor. Does it get any fresher than this? Tic Tac, enjoy the bright side. That hundred layer joy ride. Pop one, let's paint the town. Freshman flavors all around. Take a ride on a Tic Tac. Pick up a pack of Tic Tac mints today. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Clear the Cash. I'm your host, Nate Liz. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, once again, is Mr. Jesse Bach. You can find him on Twitter at planet underscore fatness. Jesse, I'm recovering from one of the worst sunburns known to man. I sent you a photo so that you can support my claim. At one point, I, I shit you not, I was kayaking for two hours. I kayaked for two hours. It was like 9.30 in the morning or 10 o'clock when we went out. My wife, my daughter, were doing the kayaking, brought the kid out. I was doing all the work, right? I was, was grinding, was doing all the work, and... I didn't think the sun was going to be that bad. Now, in my history, I've got some monumental sunburns. I should have known better. I've got at least three significant sunburns that are no joke. And this one was pretty bad. My legs, and you've seen the picture, Jesse, it looked like if you took raw pizza dough and then started to spread pasta sauce over it, like that division, that line between like the ultra light side and then the pasta sauce side with the deep red is what my my thigh looked like where my shorts were. And, and it's still red. It's been almost a week now and they still hurt, Jesse. Is this bad? I have Ashkenazi Jew and Ukrainian in my bloodline. Um, I feel your pain more than you know. Because this has happened to me too far too many times. Um, it's bad when like, all right, so let's say you were out there with like, like family, friends, whoever, and they see your legs like 30 minutes after you get out of the water and they're just like, oh my God. Like as soon as, as soon as you, you hear that, cause I've been on that end so many times. Um, it's not a good feeling. Um, how are your legs feeling right now? <laughs> Here's well, let me tell you why it happened. Let me tell you what the the main reason that my legs got, got burned was. So about six years ago, I decided I was gonna go with like the you know, the the sock that goes like three inches above your ankle or whatever. Like, I don't know, the crew sock, right? Okay. Like I used to go low socks. I used to go low socks down in the shoe. And then at some point, like six, seven years ago, I decided, no, 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 Fuck that. I'm going to go with crew length socks, okay? Not like the ultra high socks, like that they pull up to the back of the knee, like much lower than that, obviously. So I've acquired this, this tan line, right? And we're going to go to this sunny destination for vacation here in the Northwest here in a couple of weeks. And I said to my wife, I'm like, this is not good. Like this tan line I can't wear socks in the pool. Like I'm going to be exposed. Okay. It's, this is years and years and years of no sunlight. Okay. This is going to be an absolute embarrassment. So I decide, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to try to tan them. Okay. Obviously I'm not wearing socks in the kayak. I am from the Northwest, but we don't wear socks and sandals everywhere. And I don't wear socks and sandals at all. I should say that. So 
I decide, okay, I'm going to try to tan this lower 10% of my foot and ankle. And so my wife's like, well, do you want to put on sunscreen? I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to put on sunscreen. I don't need sunscreen. It's 930. Why would I need sunscreen? So we get out there doing my thing. Burnt to a crisp, by the way. Burnt to a crisp. But acquiring a pretty nice tan, Jesse, I think just in time for vacation where I will also not wear sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as, a, as a healthcare worker, um, th- that story was horrific to me about, <laughs> about the no sunscreen. Uh, I've, been, I've been guilty of it for probably a, a good quarter of a century. And then I, I just, I can't remember. I got one burn so bad that, you know, I'm just, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care how ridiculous I look. I don't care how white the sunscreen makes me look. Uh, whatever. Fuck it. I'm just going to, I'm going to put it on. I'm going to reapply. I want to be responsible about it. I can't, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't take that Ashkenazi Jewish risk. Oh, listen. No, I know my, my dad, but he told me before I left, he said it in the, the, the perfect tone of voice. He's like, make sure you wear a sunscreen. I'm like, I, I'm like, don't, don't tell me what to do. I'm a grown man, dad. Like, you don't, you don't tell me what to do anymore. When I was a child, you can, but not anymore. And he was right. Should have worn sunscreen. Wife was right. That's fine. So Jesse, this is the way it goes. People wear sunscreen. It's very important. In, unless you've got the sock issue, like I have, in which case, you have to do something about it because it's pretty embarrassing, and I refuse to be exposed at the pool in a couple of weeks from now, Jesse. Can we, can we go? Can we go viral with this? Just like I'll just just take a screenshot right there and just be like one buy, the one true buy this week. It's like <laughs> some brand of sunscreen. Like that's that's it. That's like that's how we get YouTube famous. That's what we do. This is our chance to uh, pick up a sponsor. Jesse, I I never thought it would be sunscreen on this show, but I guess it could be. So, Jesse, again, as usual, you are my news outlet for breaking news, any information in the card industry. Somehow you know about it before anything else, before Twitter, before Google, before Bing. Does anybody use Bing? So you know it before all of these search engines, Jesse. And you made me aware of another air quote record-breaking modern card sale but was it actually record breaking? So this announcement came directly from Alt Investments. Um, Alt, I, we've talked, we've mentioned uh, their name plenty of times on the show. We we mentioned them when we talked about the what is it, one point seven, one point eight million dollar LeBron exquisite RPA sale that happened in August of twenty twenty. We've talked about that transaction a couple times. They were actually they were behind, they were the winning bidder on that auction. Um, and they have a very, very wealthy and very card knowledgeable uh, group uh, out there in, in the Bay Area around San Francisco. Um, so this is according to their to their Instagram account at, at only alt official as of July 6th. Uh, it says introducing the rarest Steph Curry sports card in the world, the 2009 National Treasures one of one rookie Logoman autograph with a record breaking purchase of five point nine million dollars. This is the most valuable modern day card, surpassing the previous record by the 2003 exquisite LeBron James rookie patch auto for $5.2 million. This card, which Alt owns 51% of, is the anchor to our second investment fund in trading cards. If you're interested in learning more, click the link in our bio or DM us. 
Did I say anything wrong there or anything suspicious or maybe something that would that should maybe make us think twice about this record breaking in quotes sale? Uh I you tell me. So they they came out and they they stated that this that this sale was for 5.9 million dollars. But then then in the next sentence or, or two sentences later, it says they own 51% of the card. So how much money did they actually spend to own 51% of the card? Whatever 51% is of 5.9 million. So they, they, I, I heard, um, I heard Lior Abidar talk a little bit, um, just, just before we started recording. Um, and he was talking about how, like how the card even, even, was even a possibility of them acquiring. So it was somebody who had sole possession of the card wanted to um, either sell it off completely or or sell like a, like a fraction of it, something like that. Um, so I guess they agreed on Alt purchasing fifty one percent of the card, which the the total one hundred percent valuation would value the card at five point nine million dollars. But they bought fifty one percent of it, so they probably they probably gave the guy around $3 million to have majority ownership of the card. That's a little misleading um, just because the only reason I'm saying that is $5.9 million was not transacted. $3 million was transacted. So they're putting the valuation of the card at $5.9 million. That is what would I call that a record breaking modern card sale. Maybe from an maybe from a valuation perspective, but no, um, I don't think I would just because that amount of money wasn't transacted. They they were very misleading with, I guess, stating that it was five point nine million dollars, but they they only gave slightly more than half of that dollar amount to to the seller. So, it's it's a transaction that. Um, it's caused quite a bit of controversy. It's still an insane card. I highly suggest you guys go on only alts um, Instagram page just to take a look at it. Just because, like, I'm sure there are, there are people that didn't even know that that card existed, um, especially with like you know Steph's rookie year in 2009. National Treasures was that was just that was such an iconic set. Like two, 2009 National Treasure National Treasures crossover RPAs are. It's like one of the what's Maybe outside of like exquisite for upper deck, it's probably one of the best RPAs to own. I, I mean, uh, subjectively speaking, but it's it's a beautiful card. Um, so 2009 was a great year for for National Treasures, but um, and congratulations to them for even be, being able to to you know have the card presented to them and f- to even transact on a card like that. It's it's that that's a holy grail of a card. Um, but they probably should have been a little bit more forthcoming and transparent and maybe use the word valuation of $5.9 million instead of saying this is the most expensive modern day card ever transacted. So this card being essentially valued at 5.9, that's a reasonable price. You think that that's a fair price for this card though, right? I have to look into it a little bit more. I, I would need, um, probably years of sales data on, uh, a more highly transacted national treasures card of Steph Curry, like a, a national treasures rookie. Like, like I, I mentioned um, the 2009 national treasures crossover RPA out of 99. I would probably need a good 
at least couple of years of sales data. And I would need the sales data of the Logo Man RPA 101 um, to see how much that card was being transacted. The last time it was transacted, how much it, how much it was sold for, probably privately, between the individual who just sold 51% of it and whoever owned it before then. Um, and I would need to compare that to the something like the National Treasures crossover RPA of Steph, just to kind of get like a sort of multiple in between them to see if that actually... You know, if it if it made financial sense to spend to for the card to be valued at close to six million dollars right now, so it's very possible it was. But then again, like an R, uh, a one of one, especially a logo man one of one RPA, like that's just that's kind of that's a white whale that you just don't see very often. Um, so it's it's really even if you try to put a comp towards it. Um, you know, kind of looking at the trajectory of the Steph Curry market over the last, you know, five, 10 plus years. Um, it, it's, it's tough to even comp it just because the card is just so rare and it, it, that, that type of card almost never pops up. Well, I mean, and this is what kind of pulls us into the whole like artwork parallel, right? Like when it's a one of one, there's, you could try to draw a comp to this, but this particular player, this particular card, it's the only one in existence. Um, and so for it to go for what it did, I, I, I guess I can't really like bat an eye at any of these sales because maybe these people are trying to think way in the future as well. Obviously they are. You're not going to buy a card for this much that you don't think is going to go up in value, uh, you know, in some substantial level. But this particular card, Steph Curry is certainly a trans, a transcendent ball player, one of the best players of all time, maybe the best shooter of all time, probably is the best shooter of all time. And to see this card go for this much, it, it harkens me back to all the times we've listened to people cite the Michael Jordan Fleer rookies that are dipping in price and trying to say that the hobby's dead. And then we're constantly reminded that there are people out there with deep pockets that see a future for this hobby, for this industry that's going to go well into the future. And they're making plays like this, which sort of resonates and, and validates the fact that it probably is going to continue. Absolutely. Um, I, I think, again, congratulations to all for, for even being able to, to pull something like this off. Um, it's still impressive. Like $3 million is a shit ton of money. Um, so that's, that's obviously very impressive to, to have majority ownership of that card but at the same time like i don't know just as a as a hobby are we just too is the hobby as a whole too obsessed with record-breaking sales do you think that's that's a problem like just be, like there's always i think that's why they marketed it that as all oh, the transaction was for 5.9 million dollars just because there's always like I don't know, like people in the hobby are just, they're, they're trying, some people try to flex on each other too much. I'm not saying they're necessarily doing that here, but like, do we always need record breaking sales? I don't like, because I, we're going to, we're going to get them no matter what. We don't have to force them into the hobby news and into existence. Like guys, $6 million was not transacted here. 3 million was. So I don't know, like, can we just... I don't know. We, we might need to give like, just, just give the record breaking sales, like a bit of a break. If, if, if $6 million was actually $6 million changed hands here, that would be a different story. Um, but it, but it wasn't. Well, I guess the day that I'm not shocked by these sales is probably the day that they stopped talking about it. Like 
I understand that it eats up a big portion of the news and it gets a lot of broadcast distance. But at the same time, like every time I see it, I'm like, holy shit, that car just sold for a ton. And I guess the when we get to the point where it's just happening in the background and nobody's really talking about it because it becomes such a common occurrence, if it ever does, then maybe I see it going away. But at this point in time, the, the hobby's also wanting to put that information out there because they want all the buyers to see that as well. Like, hey, hey, don't leave. This isn't going away, right? Like it's it's just validating this anchor that this isn't going anywhere. Um, but, you know, we talked about this. I shot you a text about this. Even guys like Jay-Z are now getting in on it, right? They're investing in major collectible companies. So we're seeing other very big entities continue to creep into the market, um, sort of solidifying what we already believed was a long-term uh, investment, uh, you know, opportunity. But when you see these big sales, man, it's just I'm I'm still shocked, Jesse. I'm still shocked. Yeah, me too. It's it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money for especially for um, something like a like a Steph Curry card, who's going to be. I I mean, that's a lot of money, but he's going to be super collectible for years to come. Like how how people still collect, like. I, I'm not comparing him like one to one, but somebody like a Julius Irving or like a Magic Johnson, um, like people people pay a lot of money for their cards. Well, you know whether it's rookie or just uh, you know a really cool uh, patch auto, even even in their non playing years, people pay five figures like for those cards, um, and they're gonna con- they're gonna continue to hold their their weight or, or hold their value over time. Um, Steph is going to absolutely be that. And this, if anything, this, this, uh, a transaction like this probably boosts his market, it, even in the short term, um, just because of, of the publicity that, that he's getting as a, as a player and as somebody in, uh, who, who, who people in the hobby truly respect and obviously value, um, so this is probably going to help his market in in the short term, but he's going to be super super collectible. He already is, but he's going to continue to be super collectible long after he retires. Man, I just wish I had anything worth anything of Steph Curry. I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge believer. Jesse, the puppy. Have you heard of the puppy? Everybody's talking about the puppy. It's all I see on Twitter, and it is currently live at Underdog Fantasy. It is the 2021 season-long NFL Best Ball Tournament. It's $5 to enter. They have $250,000 in prizes. And first place is going to win $50,000, Jesse. Good luck, though, because over 14,000 teams have already drafted. So if you think you've got what it takes, if you've got the chutzpah to enter this tournament and put it all out there, then I would say go for it because there is a lot of cheddar on the line, Jesse. Of course, $25 bonus cash for new players who deposit using the code UNDERWORLD. Check out the puppy, guys. I, I'm i going to get in on it. $5 a pop. I need to win that money. I need that $50,000, Jesse. Are you going to jump in on this? I love the puppy. I, I love I love puppies. I, I'm I'm pro puppy. So, yes, I will, I will jump in on this because, yes, because I love the puppy. So, Jesse, I get this DM all the time. I just got one yesterday, in fact, asking this very question. This is a, this is a constant question in the world of card buying. 
People want to know, Jesse, is there a tactic to establish a comp for a card that someone is looking at? Do you have a method that you go about when you're looking to make a purchase? Because again, I get this all the time. Absolutely. Um, I've, I've gotten this plenty of times this week. Um, it's not an exact science, but it's definitely a great starting point. So I actually have, I have a, I have a story myself uh, with probably my most recent transaction. If you guys follow me on either on Twitter at plant underscore fatness or Instagram at flippity flip cards, um, you guys will probably see me post this at some point this week. You'll definitely see it by the time that this, this uh, episode airs. If you guys follow me, um, I recently purchased uh, a, a pretty, a pretty sought after parallel, um, a nineties parallel. And at least in terms of basketball, it's far cheaper in football for plenty of players. Um, the card that I, that I purchased through PWCC in late June was um, the 1997 Skybox EX2000 um, Essential Credentials numbered out of 100 Jerry Rice PSA 9. Um, it's, oh man, I I, ju I just opened the card. Uh, I, I got it in the mail. I opened it last night. It's, oh my God, it's such a beautiful card. I can't wait to post it. But um, it's, I, I, I wanted to kind of have some sort of a, a price like a max price in mind, um, but that card doesn't pop up very often. So I had to I had to uh, compare it to something that's far more transacted, um, and I had to try to try my best to dig for some auction data or or recently um, transacted data of this uh, essential credentials Jerry Rice card. So it's crazy enough the the pop of that card is four. So you either, if, if you can't find any PSA 9 graded sales, um, you got to look for any other grade, PSA 10, PGS 9, PGS 9, PSA 8, whatever, um, just to kind of try to establish some sort of a comp. Fortunately, that card ever since um, April of 2017, yes, I, it, it had to go back that far. Um, that card sold on eBay publicly via auction three times, including the time that including when I, when I bought it on June 28th. So I had to compare it to a far more transacted and sought after Jerry Rice card. So I compared it to his 1986 tops, tops base, Jerry Rice, PSA nine. Um, that card has a population of 1,028, uh, compared to, like I said, my, the card that I, I went to purchase, uh, is a pop four. Um, so that card doesn't pop up very often. However, the, the PSA nine rookie rice, Pops, they, that card sells just about, you know, multiple times a week, if not daily. Um, so I had to go back to three points in time to kind of establish some some sort of a comp or range of a comp. So the dates that I'm going back to are the dates that the um, essential credentials Jerry Rice sold on eBay via auction. And also kind of a mini side note. One very underrated tool to use uh, to find public auction data is PS. If it's a PSA graded card, go on PSA's website or the PSA app um, and look at auction prices. There's they have an auction price tab. Nate, I told you about this last week, and you said you had no idea that this existed. And it's a completely free tool. It's it's very it's very nice, very underrated tool. So they have. They have public auction data. I, I can't say for how long, but I was able to find something from April of 2017. So they have a pretty far back database. So 
the times that this essential credentials uh, Jerry Rice PSA 9 sold uh, on eBay via auction was April 26th, 2017, January 25th, 2021, and my transaction June 28th, 2021. So I compared those, uh, at least the first two sales points uh, to the Jerry Rice tops base PSA 9 rookie on April 26th, 2017, and January 25th, 2021. So in April of 2017, the PSA 9 rookie rice was going for about $500 or so. And the essential credentials, Jerry Rice, at that sold that same day for $359.56. So that, that's about a 1.39 times multiplier. Um, so the Jerry Rice rookie is 1.39 times more valuable than, that, than the essential credentials Jerry Rice in that point in time. January 25th, 2021, four year, almost four years later, um, both cards end via auction on the same night again. The Rice Rookie goes for $3,250, and the Essential Credentials goes for $1,525. So now the Rookie is worth 2.13 times more, or went for 2.13 times more than the Essential Credentials. So I know in my mind when I'm, I, I desperately wanted to win this card. I was, I was, I was honestly prepared to pay for more than what I originally was trying to comp it at. Um, but I knew it had to be somewhere between the, the rice rookie is somewhere between 1.39 and 2.13 times more valuable than the card that I'm looking at. So June 28th comes the, and the rice rookie sells again this time for $3,050, and I win the Essential Credentials auction for $2,105, a 1.45x multiplier. So I fell into that 1.39 to 2.13x range. So I, I think I, I, it was closer to 1.39, obviously, but I think I I paid a fair, a very fair value for it. I don't think I, I, don't think I got like a crazy steal, although in the long run I do. Um, but I, I I felt comfortable using the PSA nine tops rookie rice as a fair comp as a, a far more transacted card uh, to be used as a comp for the card that I was looking at. So it's I, I've heard, I've heard this before. I've heard this with with other cards. Um, I've heard you know team color optic uh, numbered out of whatever like hundred hundred and fifty. Um, and people have asked me, you know, what should I, what should I value, like evaluate this at? I want to sell it or I'm really looking to buy it. What do you think is a fair price? Well, if let's say there's a pop of like 10 on that card, why don't you look at the player's optic hollow PSA 10? That's I'm, I, I can almost guarantee you that pop is going to be way more than 10. So look at, uh, if you can find any, any pricing history or uh, transaction history on the card that you're looking for and compare it to the optic hollow pricing history to establish some sort of a multiple between the two to kind of get like a fair either buying price if you're looking to acquire or selling price if, if you're looking to part with it. So that's just my two cents. That's that's a, a, another sort of a PSA for, for some people just because that this is a question that I get very, very frequently. I'm going to have to timestamp whenever it was that this just took place. So the next time I get this question, which is going to be 
probably again this week, I can send people back to this episode so that they can listen to the five minutes that you just told people exactly in concise terms how to solve this problem. Because again, in the end, you're either buying for PC reasons and you're not ultra concerned with the price because it's a long-term hold. But if you're a flipper, this is an incredibly valuable way to look at these cards because you get a better understanding of what the ceiling could be, how to buy in these windows. So look, Jesse's been doing this a long time and he's buying at one of the higher levels. So pay attention to what the man says. He's exactly right. Okay, so let, let, let's talk about auction houses for a second because you've got some thoughts about this. We meant to bring this up last week. I feel like we've been kicking this can down the road for quite some time. This is your moment to sort of air out your thoughts on this topic, Jesse. The floor is yours. So um, interestingly enough, that we we probably should have honestly brought this out last week after uh, Ken Golden um, came out on the, uh, the Card Ladder Guys show. Um, the, their Friday night Instagram live show. It's called the crossover. If you guys haven't checked it out, I'm, I know there are listeners who, who watch that show live. I, I, I tune in and watch that show live as well on Instagram on Friday nights. Um, yeah, check it out. If you guys haven't for sure, it's uh, there, there's some Josh and Chris are just absolute hobby OGs and, and probably one of, one of the wisest guys that you'll, you'll find or have the chance to talk to um, or interact with in the hobby. Um, so they had Ken Golden on and um, it was kind of an impromptu guest appearance because, you know, he kind of wanted to clear the air with with the whole PSA acquisition or PSA acquiring, um, uh, acquiring Golden Auctions. And he was talking about the um, the the insane influx of 1986 Fleer Michael Jordan PSA 10s that they received in late 2020 and early 2021. So going into January, that company, uh, Golden had, I can't remember the exact amount, but it was over 40 Fleer Jordan, 86 Jordan PSA 10s. That card, we've mentioned the pop before on the show. It's, it's around 350. So you're talking, you're talking um, one auction house in one point in time has more than 10% of the total population of that card um they i probably deep they were they were obviously excited i can't imagine how excited ken golden was but he was probably shitting himself a little bit because he's owning he literally has 10 more than 10 percent of this card the maybe one of the most desirable uh probably the most desirable base sports card in like existence maybe outside of like the honest wagner or something um he has more than 10% of them. He has more than 10% of that market, more than 10% of that market share in his possession. So yeah, you're going to have to be pretty strategic with how you sell that card and sell those cards. The, the I'm, I'm sure people who, who had, who own that card and want to consign with golden, they saw that, you know, they were, they were in the, in the positive in terms of like, in terms of profitability long ago. So they were, they were more than comfortable getting, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars for the card, even after seller's fee, whatever, if they even had to pay seller's fee um, for a card that nice. So they had a pretty tough task with um, trying to offload you know, 40 plus Fleer Jordan PSA 10s in as, as little time as possible uh, to try to get their consigners as much money as possible. Um, he said he probably brokered around 20 plus 
private deals. So sometimes what auction houses will do is they'll hold on, they could hold on to the card for you, uh, especially if they have a vault and golden said um, that they do have a vault. So they could, the consigner will still have sole possession of the card, even though it's at the, at, if, even though it's at the vaults, um, even though it's at the auction house's vault, but the auction house can help broker a deal between an interested buyer and the consigner. Um, they'll probably just take some small percentage um, of, of the transaction, but um, it's technically, it's considered like a private deal. It, it, that card never reaches auction. Um, so they brokered maybe around like 20 plus deals, private deals between consigners and private buyers. Um, and the other 20, 25 had to be auctioned off. So they have a premium auction every month um, and they have uh, like a like a shorter 10-day auction, usually at the beginning of, of each month. So that's still, I mean, still we're in July right now and they had a pretty tall task of, you know, spreading out these 25 or so Jordans over this, you know, six month plus time span. So maybe for the first couple of auctions, they listed multiples, multiple copies at the same time. We were seeing record prices then. Like we, that's when we saw the $700,000 plus deal, I think back in January, like late January. Um, and then they saw, they, they kind of learned from their mistake. They saw that, you know, maybe supply was uh, the supply of that card. That's, that's, you know, not very commonly transacted. It just kind of came out the wazoo all at once. Um, within a couple months and they, they kind of learned their, their lessons. So they started to um, feature no more than one to two of them per auction. And now they, I think they have a handful of 86 Fleer Jordans P, uh, PSA 10s left. And the, Ken Golden has come out publicly and said, oh, we're, ne we're never gonna auction off more than one at a time. These auction houses, they're, they're very sharp. They'll, um, if, if it's a card as, as rare, Whereas sought after as as a card like that, the auction houses will actually talk with each other. Like Golden will talk to Heritage, Leland's, whatever, and they'll say one of them will come out and say, "Oh yeah, we we have a we have an '86 Fleer PSA 10 Jordan," and maybe both of the other auction houses have it. So they don't want to they don't want to auction them off at the same time. So they'll actually strategize together and work together in terms of who like who sells that card when um, it's I, I, I hope more auction houses are doing stuff like that. Like I hope P PWCC is working with golden. Um, but uh, speaking of uh, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because um, there are auction houses still out there. Like I'm thinking uh, PWCC used to be worse at it. I think they've improved a little bit. Maybe somebody like Probstein um, they'll, they'll feature multiple copies of the same type of card, same grade. Um, and it's, you know, it's a pretty sought after card. Like one, like one card that I can think of off the top of my head back in, I want to say it was January was 2017 Prism Silver Patrick Mahomes PSA 10. And that card was transacting at that point in time, pretty uh, consistently around $9,000, nine to 10 grand, depending on the night, depending on how many, uh, how many auctions were ending on a given night. And one of those companies, uh, auctioned off like 10 of them at the same time, all ending within 90 seconds of each other. Huge dude. If I was a seller of, of there, so one of those cards went for like $7,000. 
and around the time they were going for, you know, around nine grand, I would be so pissed if I was the seller. Um, there is a chance I, I, I can't completely rule this out. There is a chance that the same guy owned 10 of those Holmes Prism Silver PSA 10s. Um, that's a lot of money. Um, that's even though the, the population count of, of that card is like around eight to 900. Um, it's still just so much money. I don't know. It's a lot of money. Like I, I'm sure there are people that, that own 10 copies of that card, but, uh, m most people don't. So I think it was just people were comfortable selling at the time, you know, with like the playoff hype coming up and people were pretty, you know, they were expecting Mahomes to, to make it to the Super Bowl, hopefully win. So they thought, oh, okay, maybe in the run-up, um, in the playoffs, maybe it might not be, you know, the worst time to sell. But guys, like, like to the, just my message to the auction house, just be a little bit more cognizant. Like even, don't, just make sure that that auction, like those auctions don't end within like a minute of each other. It's one thing if it's maybe like a couple hours or days, like just, but not, not within you know, 90 seconds of, of one another. I mean, congratulations to the buyer who, who bought that most, uh, that the cheapest copy of that card. Um, I'm sure they're like, they're looking their chops now. They're pretty happy about it, but, um, yeah, just kind of PSA to, to auction houses to be a little bit more strategic, maybe follow the logic of, of maybe like a golden or heritage and these higher end auction houses to actually strategize of, how to part with really valuable cards. Yeah, that would piss me off. I mean, I would be, especially if you're a guy selling a lot or in the event that you're the one random guy that's selling at the same time and your card's the one that goes for less than the group, it would be ultra frustrating. So very clearly, uh, if you do have these types of cards to sell them, like you mentioned, Golden, some other, you know, groups maybe go to them or you can even reach out to them i know my dad personally has sold a bunch of stuff through pwcc he's contacted them in advance they've had discussions about things i mean you can probe these groups of uh, of businesses before you submit anything to them or go into contract to have anything auctioned by them to just ask the question hey you know how many of these are, especially if it's a Jordan or whatever, how many of these are being listed? You know, how do you guys typically do this? Because they're going to take a cut anyways. So if you're not only getting less and you're giving up a percentage of the sale, that hurts even more. I know PWCC used to have this problem more, more often, even back uh, in like 2020, I would see multiple uh, copies of a, of a pretty valuable card uh, sell around the same time. They've gotten a lot better at it. Um, I'm sure I, I'm, I'm, not confident in saying that it doesn't happen anymore. Probably doesn't happen as often as it used to, but they've been doing a really good job of improving. And I don't mean to, I'm not trying to shit talk on any of these auction houses because they, I can't imagine doing the job that they're doing uh, with the amount of inventory that they're responsible for. Um, and also they're at the kind of at the mercy of the seller of what, you know, or the consigner, whenever the consigner wants to sell. But I like I'm I'm kind of more just praising Gold Ken Golden's process in terms of how to actually you know work with a consigner and explain to them uh, the process of okay I, I understand you want to sell right now but there are 30 Fleer Jordans that came before yours and they have first dibs so they they have they have their say with when they want to sell it and I I can't sell more than a handful at a time or else we're going to crash this market um, so it's kind of it's like it's not market manipulation. It's like the opposite. It's like, it's like 
negative market manipulation, like in, in terms of, you know, crashing a, a cards market, like immediately or just about. So um, I kind of, you know, I, the whole reason why we, why we wanted to uh, start talking about this is obviously to, to kind of give a, a public service announcement to the auction houses to maybe, maybe take a note out of Ken Golden's book um, if they haven't done so already. Jesse, last order of business. I have got to get this off my chest. This, this needs to be cleared right now. There was a tweet, and I quote tweeted it today. Uh, I'm not going to even mention the guy's name, but basically he sent out this sappy tweet that said, just a reminder that Jerry Judy, Jalen Rager, and Michael Pittman Jr. deserve a second chance. Return, return. Be patient. Yeah, I get that Michael Pittman and Jalen Rager deserve a second chance, but why did you shoehorn Jerry Judy into that sentence? Isn't Jerry Judy already well-established after his rookie season? And hasn't he already done something that Russell Clay flew in like a, like a giant condor just f- flew in with information and said, hey, hey, listen, guys, only 27% of first-round rookies ever exceed 850 receiving yards in their rookie season. So basically one quarter of all first round rookies actually do this, but then people show up detractors show up and they start to call out Jerry Judy's play. They ignore the fact that his quarterback play was piss poor, which we will cite with metrics in a moment. They, they cite that he wasn't as impressive as guys like Justin Jefferson. Well, of course, Justin Jefferson had an all-time rookie season, for God's sakes. Look at the numbers. That might be the best season of his career, by the way. And they just absolutely rain hellfire down on Jerry Judy. But it seems all for naught, Jesse. It seems pointless. What, what are your thoughts? You've seen the thread. What are your thoughts on Jerry Judy? And more specifically... How do we tie this back into the card buying experience for Jerry Judy fans? <laughs> Guys, uh, a thousand yards is really hard to a thousand receiving yards is really hard to accomplish for any rookie wide receiver. I don't care how good you are. So let's cool it with um, saying that he needs to bounce back or or he can bounce back where I think he played pretty damn well with uh just about as piss poor quarterback play as you can get. If not like, if not the the worst quarterback situation in the whole NFL last year, um, I've seen, I've seen uh, comparisons, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, or, or metrics thrown at, thrown at your timeline about red zone targets and whatever. Um, and uh, w- one of the, one of the buzzards that was that was uh, uh, going after you on Twitter referenced that he had seven or eight red zone targets. Um, guys, that's not really even that bad for a rookie. Like if we if we compare him to somebody like Justin Jefferson, who had twelve, and T Higgins who had eleven red zone targets, like how how fewer really is eight? Espe- again, especially with the piss poor quarterback play, at least. Justin Jefferson had a, a pretty accurate Kirk Cousins throwing him the ball. T. Higgins had, you know, at least a, a little over half a season of Joe Burrow throwing him the ball. And even even after Burrow was out, he was still a target magnet in Cincinnati. So um, 
I don't, I don't know. I, I, I can't, I can't defend, uh, I can't defend the Jerry Judy hate on here. Um, honestly, his cards have been kind of, I, it seems like this is, this isn't that, uh, far from the rest of, you know, how, how the rest of the hobby feels about his cards. Like, I feel like his cards have been a little too beaten down, um, as of late. So, I mean, how many years does Cortland Sutton have in Denver? Honestly, as of right now, what, like, a year he has one year left on his contract which was a- another point that i wanted to make because this you know you have people that are citing his his red zone usage and as you mentioned a guy like justin jefferson who had more targets on the year in total had four more red zone targets or a guy like t higgins who had relatively the same target share had three more red zone targets so it's not even like jerry judy was so far behind but the fact that drew Locke is so bad, and and the uh, the sum of the quarterback play in Denver was so bad, it's unreal how well Jerry Judy actually performed. And then everybody goes, oh, well, Cortland Sutton's going to be back next year. Well, Cortland Sutton may not even be on the team in 2022, which may be the reason, hello, why Jerry Judy was selected in the middle of the first round. Denver already had weapons. They already had early round investments in wide receivers. Why the hell do you think they took Jerry Judy at 115 when they have an absolute stink bomb at quarterback. I mean, they have so many other needs, but all they do is funnel this team with wide receivers, with tight ends. I mean, there are more weapons in Denver than we can count. Fingers are still crossed that Aaron Rodgers goes to Denver and we're popping confetti, folks. It it will happen. I still truly believe this based on the information we're seeing. But people need to really like hone in on how bad Drew Locke was, okay? Drew Locke, his catchable pass rate, was the that of the quarterback 42 out of 32 NFL starters. This guy ranked the quarterback 42 in a catchable pass rate. He was outside the top 30 in basically every efficiency metric. He was top two in danger plays. He was top six in interceptable passes. The guy was absolute dog shit all year long, and people want to uh, throw shade at Jerry Judy. It just makes no sense to me. And and as we talked about off air, this is exactly what they did to Calvin Ridley. This is the same thing that happened to Calvin Ridley. And uh-oh, Calvin Ridley, wide receiver five last year. And uh-oh, is anybody going to be surprised if Calvin Ridley is the wide receiver overall number one in fantasy football at the end of 2021? I won't be. I, you, you shouldn't be. So why do we continue to, to play history out the same fucking way time and time and time again? Jerry Judy... A lot of times what I do, and I can almost guarantee it, if a player's pulse in Dynasty is low, then their card-buying experience is great. That's the way I see it. If people are throwing shade at a guy in Dynasty, oftentimes short of their nicest cards because there's always a buyer for everybody, you can literally go to eBay, search a guy's name, like Michael Pittman right now, Jalen Rager right now. Go look at their names. Compared to their peers, they're a lot less. I can almost guarantee you they're a lot less. So when this kind of shit happens in the card buying world, just take that pulse and go bing, go over to eBay and go, oh, I guess I'll go look at card prices. And a guy like Jerry Judy, not only am I a fan of his long-term potential, but his card prices look so good. And our guy, Ethan Motz, check him out on Twitter, at Ethan Motz, M-O-T-Z. He wrote up over at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash I'm outraged. He did the most recent uh, Auction Hunters article, and he cited a ton 
of nice Jerry Judy cards. So for all of you guys that are Jerry Judy truthers, and even for you guys that are closet haters but know that he's going to be good anyways, go check out the article because you can add some nice cards for cheap to your portfolio. I mean, how nice would it be to know that you helped, uh, you know, uh, in, you know, uh, coordinate the ADP dip in Jerry Judy, and then you bought his cards because you helped artificially affect his market. Then you bought those cards. Then when he played well, no thanks to you, you took those cards and flipped them and made a profit. Jesse, that seems like a good way to live your life. Uh, yes, that is that is probably the ideal way if you want to marry fantasy fo- fantasy football and profiting from the card market. Hopefully, um, that's probably the best way to go about it. And honestly, it, if you guys don't, if you are if you are a patron um, and you don't read Ethan's articles, you def you absolutely should. And if you're not a patron, become a patron. Um, but his uh, his articles are just so on point. Like I've I've bid on uh, some auctions that that he's been uh, referencing or writing about, and I've I've honestly probably lost to some some other patrons that have that have uh, been paying attention as well. So um, and honestly, he has he has. Uh, he features um, card options for any any like budget of of any buyer out there. So you can you know if you want to spend three figure like even mid to high three figures on a card, or if you just want to look at something for for five or ten dollars. Honestly, he he features every like pretty much every tier along the way in each of his articles. I don't understand. I don't know where the hate comes from. And then you get these people. I'm not done, Jesse. You get these people that dive into their mentions and they're like, yeah, well, if you didn't have Jerry Judy last year, you didn't experience the roller coaster ride that was Jerry Judy, man. Yeah, Drew Lockett quarterback. Of course it's a roller coaster ride. You think he doesn't know that? He has himself in fantasy and he's like, I don't really want to start me this week. I got Drew Lockett quarterback. It's not a good situation. But also, John Elway knows that he's full of crap. Every time he puts these supporting comments out there about Drew Locke, and it's always it's always slightly like he leaves the door cracked open just a little bit to to give Drew Locke the boot in the ass and remove him to the team. You know, he's like he's like, yeah, he's good, but you know, he's just just a couple hurdles that we're working around. John, it's year three now. Let's get it together. Like the guy isn't going to cut it. There are very very few second round quarterbacks that were great in this league. Drew Brees, the god of all of them. Drew Locke was never going to be Drew Brees. They got the same first name, but he wasn't a lock to be Brees, right? Like, do the math with the names. It just doesn't work favorably. <sighs> I just don't understand, Jesse. And because of that, Jerry Judy's price is being driven way down. Many services have Jerry Judy almost outside the top 30 wide receivers. Wow. So take it for what it is. There's a lot of wide receivers age 29 still ranked ahead of Jerry Judy, and if Jerry Judy throws together a 1,200-yard season next year, not with Drew Locke, obviously Cortland Sutton wasn't there, then we could see his prices rise, his dynasty value rises. It all it all goes together. I mean, would you agree? We've talked about this before. We're trying to marry the fantasy football player with the card-buying experience. Do you use Dynasty Pulse to help sort of Give yourself maybe an idea of who you should go look for on the market when you see a lot of people are down on a player. Is that when you're like, maybe I should go look at this guy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also, I in in previous in in previous years, I've 
I've looked at a like strength of schedule um, and you know running back and wide receiver matchups going into the year based off of the previous year's data. Um, and I've I, you know I've even kind of going in going into last season I kind of used that a little bit to my advantage um, going into the 2020 season in terms of who to look for and and who to who to buy um, who might be a little bit cheaper like if, if anybody was looking for Derrick Henry last year like kudos to you um, uh, if I'm not mistaken I'm pretty I, I I'm pretty sure the the Titans um, run uh, run offense schedule last year was looking, it was like, it was pretty friendly uh, for somebody like Henry. And obviously he's, he's just a beast altogether, but um, yeah, like uh, definitely doing your, your due diligence and, and your own research in terms of how uh, a team's strength of schedule is going to the year and their, their matchups uh, go, going in like week in, week out. Um how they look going into like training camp preseason. Um, you can, you honestly have an opportunity to, to make some money, whether, whether you want to look at wide receivers, quarterbacks, uh, running backs, whoever. So you can definitely doing your own research, um, in terms of, you know, helping it, it'll, it, I mean, if not for cards, it'll help you out in dynasty anyway, in terms of, or either dynasty or, or just seasonal fantasy football. Um, it's, you're only going to help yourself from there. I mean, I'm not. I'm not done. Are people even surprised that that Jerry Judy doesn't have the red zone targets? Like the Denver Broncos were bottom three in the league in red zone attempts. Okay, 45 red zone attempts last year. That was bottom three in the league. They're next to the Giants, the Jets, and the Jaguars. Okay, come on. I mean, why? And then what about dr- average drive length? The Denver Broncos had the least amount of time per drive last year. Two minutes and 28 seconds, okay? They were like, all right, ready, hut, hut, okay, punt. Like, there was no time <laughs> for this team to do anything. Are people surprised? Like, this, all these narratives are so bad. God, when Aaron Rodgers gets to Denver, Jesse, when Aaron Rodgers gets to Denver, the whole story changes. And all of a sudden, people start realizing that Jerry Judy's a good player because with a good quarterback... And they're like, oh, he was, oh, I get it. He was good, but he had a shitty quarterback. And now that he's still good with a good quarterback, he's really good. All right, I've had enough. I need a Tylenol, Jesse. Listen, we covered a lot of ground. Jesse taught you a tactic that you need to add to your toolbox. I've illuminated the fact that people are woefully ignorant about Jerry Judy. Big time ignorance is taking place out there. A lot of galaxy brains in the industry. It's just way too easy. Stop fumbling on the two yard line. Jesse, we got a lot of content next week. Check out Patreon. If you're not a member yet, there's always a discord chat. We've got a great public community for those of you guys that just want to dip your toes in the water, but don't want to spend any money. There's a nice group over there. Transactions are taking place all the time. Great place to ask questions as well. Jesse, thank you once again. Uh, for your effort and servitude. You are, again, the straw that stirs the drink on this show. And we will be back next week on Clear the Cash.